The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Berquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling, and healthiest life. If you enjoy sports or a high school, college, or professional athlete, you may have read or gotten advice on the foods you should eat to optimize your performance and health and shorten your recovery. Today, I have the incredible honor and privilege of being joined by David Goldman, one of the leading experts in nutrition science as it relates to performance and health. David is the chief science advisor to the Game Changers. He has a dual Ivy League graduate degree in physiology and nutrition and helped build Facebook headquarters nutrition program from scratch. David has years of experience as a dietitian and strength and conditioning specialist that spans from obesity research to coaching Olympic athletes and celebrities. David, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so tell me a little bit more about how you got involved in sports nutrition and, and working with professional athletes. Uh, sure. I was um, personally obese growing up, and I thought it would be great to um, slim down, so I got very very thin. And, uh, and then I thought, okay, well, I guess the, the best balance of all this is to start weight training. And so I got into that personally, got very, very excited about the transformations I was able to affect uh, personally. And I wanted to, to share that and carry that over to, to other people. So I went to graduate school for it and started applying it uh, at first just to, you know, casual exercisers and then to higher and higher level athletes from college to professional to even Olympic. So it's been um, personally relevant to me, but uh, my, my greatest joy is sharing it with other people who can compete at a level that I'll only dream of. Yeah, you know, that's remarkable. I think a lot of times that personal journey of seeing your own transformation is what makes a person just want to share and to have other people experience the same benefits. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and, you know, and... I want to get into some of, you know, kind of traditions around sports nutrition and myths um, and kind of go through them with you of, um, you know, what's truly important for performance and recovery. You know, throughout the years, I've been a part of a lot of sports traditions. You know, for example, I remember the night before I ran the Boston Marathon, you know, at Faneuil Hall in Boston, there's a big carb loading pasta dinner that was big tradition. And of course, we're all eating these plates of processed carbohydrates the night before (laughs) and you know ditto before the local Atlanta PC road race everyone just says okay it's time for pasta Um, and a lot of these traditions aren't science-based so I I really want to get into the specifics because what we know has changed and grown so much that I, I think the information needs to get out there. Um, so maybe we can start with just for endurance. So glycogen storage is important, um, but what are the types of meals that you recommend for professional athletes as they're preparing for a competition or a game? Gotcha. Well, first of all, I, uh, I just have to go back and you mentioned the, the carb loading and eating a huge pasta dish and uh, <laughs> you have to pardon me, but as an aside, it makes me think of my favorite TV show, The Office. Have you ever seen The Office? <laughs> yes. And uh, there's an episode where the, the manager, Michael Scott, 
uh, tries to carb load on fettuccine Alfredo <laughs> right before uh, a long race and he ends up vomiting it and <laughs> it's horrible, but it's, it's really funny. And so I, uh, I just have to laugh when I think about how people take these concepts and apply them with the best of intentions, but complete, you know, misdirection. So, um, so anyway, yeah, I guess I, I don't recommend large plates of pe- uh, fettuccine Alfredo before. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I really, I mean, like you said, you know, you mentioned carbohydrates and, and, you know, we know that those are the preferred fuel source, um, for high intensity exercise and, uh, even for, for longer endurance events, um, you know, towards the, the second half of the race, those become uh, more dominant than, than even dietary fat, is, or I'm sorry, than, than fat is. So, um, so yeah, I mean, th- that's certainly going to be wonderful for fuel. Protein is going to be wonderful for, um, for recovery and fat's great for, for other reasons too. And, um, but really, I, I, I would just, I recommend eating as, as plant-based as someone can muster, as whole food as someone can muster, so less refined. Um, foods impossible, but um, you know, I, with regard to what they eat before and after competition, I think a lot of that comes down to preference and what they can tolerate. You know, some people uh, want to have a much bigger meal several hours before um, a basketball game, let's say, and some people want to have something smaller closer to the event. So I, I go off of personal feel um, as much as anything, but just, you know, coloring inside the the guidelines of what the uh, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and the American College of Sports Medicine and so forth uh, recommend. Mm-hmm, right. So there's a, a good amount of leeway in terms of the proportion and the timing of a plant-based diet. The key mm-hmm. is really that it's entirely plant-based. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much more vari- There's so much more um, room for personalization than people usually think. So, uh, you know, my, my very first job out of college, I worked at Gold's Gym. And there's as much bro science there as any place I've ever seen. And I, I mean, I was one of the people who followed it. And immediately, as soon as I would finish a workout, I mean, you, I, I wouldn't even speak a word before I'd slam 50 grams of whey protein um, because I thought that you absolutely had to get as much protein as possible immediately after your training. Otherwise, you'd miss this anabolic window. And um, those were back in the days when I was getting my information from bodybuilding magazines. And um, it turns out that we have way wider a window to get the protein that we need to maximally, not just generally build some muscle, increase strength to some degree, I'm talking maximally doing it. There's so much wider of a window, more like five to six hours to sandwich your pre and post workout meal around your, your resistance training session. So that's just one example about how, um, or, you know, an example of how, uh, there's there's dogma and then there's science and thankfully the science seems to show that we're our bodies are more flexible and capable of adapting to multiple different um ways of eating but like you said all of them point in the direction of plant-based it's just a question of timing and do we get our protein from lentils or split peas or chickpeas you know that seems to be more uh, up for grabs right and and within, um, you know, these dietary plans that are more plant-based, you know, amongst athletes, of course, there's a huge rise in plant-based eating, but still, I imagine that the prevalent dogma is, you know, as you highlight in the movie Game Changers, you know, real men eat meat, um, to explain to people the components of the why behind the plant-based diet. If you don't mind, maybe we could get into 
the why of why, you know, why it's so evident, you know, I come at it from a health perspective, being an internal medicine physician, where we see incredible disease reversal, not just prevention and management, but disease reversal and chronic diseases such as heart disease, diabetes, premature aging, um, even cancer. The role of these nutrients for athletic performance, um, you know, what are changes that you see when athletes switch to plant-based diets? Um, Anecdotally or in the scientific literature? Um, I would say, you know, a little bit about the science behind the why and then the stories of the people and the results in their experience with it. Um, Sure. So, um, so we touch on some um, pretty uh, critical components of how plant and animal foods have uh, discrepant effects on our physiology, for example. Um, and we touch on this in the paper that I think you'll, you'll link to the um, listeners below. Yes. But the blood viscosity is one. So basically the thickness um, or fluidity of blood makes a big difference. We have a, a scene in the film, a live experiment, where we actually explore that with professional football players. And so we really don't want sludge moving through our blood. That can cripple arteries. We call that um, endothelial dysfunction. And um, that's a real problem because you know, we don't want to bottleneck the, um, you know, the vessels that deliver nutrients to our, our brain and, and muscles. And, and so anyway, that's one thing is certainly the thinness or thickness of the blood and how that can affect um, the ability of our arteries to open uh, you know, we see huge differences in, in animal-based and plant-based meals in terms of really crippling arteries or allowing them to open. Um, and and that's, that's really massive. And I think that that affects uh, both performance and recovery. So that, that absolutely hits both sides of that. And the same thing with the, um, the inflammation. So we can see the, the different effects of animal and plant-based meals on markers of inflammation. And, and both the, the blood flow and the inflammation, these are, are very quick effects. These can happen in, in a matter of hours after eating the meals. And we also see this over time uh, as well, you know, longer term studies seeing uh, the, the effects here. Um, so anyway, yeah, I would say blood flow, um, inflammation, um, you know, certainly the, the quantity of carbohydrate that the diet provides uh, is, is very different between plant and animal-based diets. And there's good research showing that most athletes are just not hitting their carbohydrate recommendations, especially for the more endurance or oriented sports. So this is just grazing the surface, but hopefully it's enough to start. Well, it's a great start. And, you know, just to backtrack on what you just said and that you highlight this in your article, which we will attach um, in the notes as a link, um, but just one fatty meal can change the viscosity, you know, the thickness, if you will, of the blood of one fatty meal and you highlight this in the movie. And I think it's so profound how quickly the food choices we make influence our body's performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so much faster than most people think. People, people think eh, it'll catch up to me in a long time. Um, there's one study that we didn't include in the film, but I think is absolutely fascinating. And I can even tell you the name of it if you want to um, maybe link it below. But uh, I think it was just published last year called Short-Term Mediterranean Diet Improves Endurance Performance Exercise. And it's incredible to see. um, It was four days, I believe, on a Mediterranean-style plant-based diet. And the authors are all chalking up 
the improved performance, which is actually a 6% of total time shaved off of a 5K run. Wow. Chalking us up to all of the plant constituents of that diet. And so, you know, here we have these, um, you know, the, the live experiments in the film. Um, there are way more that we didn't have a chance to include. But, I mean, 6% in a 5K, that's, that's massive. That's enough to, to, you know, make a champion. So, like you said, the effects happen very quickly. Um, and they're really compelling. Absolutely. And, and the quantity of carbs, as you said, a lot of athletes don't get enough carbs. And of course, without the storage of carbohydrates in the form of glycogen, the muscles fatigue early. Um, what types of carbs? Again, I know you mentioned that there's a lot of leeway and um, you know, certainly processed pasta is not optimal. Uh, amongst the things that people can choose from, what are the types that you generally recommend? Um, in terms of what, what types of carbohydrates are, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of, like I mentioned before, just the, the whole food varieties. Um, so it could be fruit of any kind, uh, potatoes, you know, I like sweet potatoes or purple potatoes, um, corn, uh, quinoa, oatmeal. I eat a ton of oatmeal. I recommend that as well. Um, I mean, people don't realize, for example, beans actually have even more carbohydrate than they do uh, protein. So, I mean, beans are a fantastic source of, uh, of carbohydrates as well. Uh, what else? Yeah, I feel like those are the, the major categories. There's but, the fruits, the vegetables, whole grains, the beans, yeah. lentils, um, nuts and seeds, I'm sure. So, um, although less carbs in those. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and... You started to mention you know, the role of inflammation both in performance and in recovery. And, and you know, so when a person really intensely exercises, there's some oxidative damage that occurs in muscles, and of course there's inflammation. In speeding recovery, reducing that amount of inflammation and oxidative damage become key. Um, what are things that you advise for your professional athletes around reducing that recovery time? Um, so, oh, but by the way, can I just, I just want to throw, uh, if we can just run back one sure. question real quick, just cause there was a, an amazing study I really wanted to share with you. Um, just speaking of quality of carbohydrates mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and parameters relevant to, uh, to athletes. And also this is for non-athletes too, but there was a, a beautiful paper that was published, uh, just last year. It was a Neil Barnard paper and, the uh, title is a plant-based high carbohydrate, low fat diet in overweight individuals in a 16 week randomized clinical trial, the mm -hmm. role of carbohydrates. It's fast, uh, a wonderful paper. And what I wanted to share, people usually think that having these extra carbohydrates are more likely to, um, to cause people to store body fat. And what was so fascinating about this paper, I mean, one of the things there was, I think three papers or so that were spun off of this one, but for every 10 calorie increase in carbs, body fat dropped by 2.7 pounds. So that to me was, was pretty compelling and, and does speak against the, the demonization of, uh, of carbohydrates. But even more interesting, you know how you were saying, you know, which types of carbohydrates are you recommending and which ones are you not? Um, they showed that lactose, the, the sugar in milk, that was linked to higher levels of body fat, whereas more starch and fiber, you know, like we were saying before, whole grains and potatoes, that was linked to lower levels of body fat. So, um, so I thought that that was really interesting and I just wanted to share that with you too, because it's not like all carbs are created equally. And similarly, all protein isn't created equally. The, the same, um, actual 
study, that same, the same um, uh, experiment was published in a different paper. In that other paper, they showed that the protein, uh, just exchanging plant protein for animal protein, explained about uh, five pounds of fat loss across that uh, four-month duration. So I just want to, I guess I, I really want to hit that piece home that it's not just carbs and it's not just protein. The source is really, really, really important, whether we're an athlete, whether we're a non-athlete. I mean, who doesn't want to be uh, leaner? So, I mean, it, it would certainly promote health and, you know, um, exercise where, where body weight comes into the equation. Right. Yeah, and I'm so glad you said that, you know, and, and of course we can add fats to that, the type of fat, right? Mm -hmm. So the saturated fat primarily gets distributed around the belly, visceral fat, mm -hmm. whereas the unsaturated preferentially go to peripheral sources, you know, more around legs and hands. Um, so how the different fats get distributed, the effect of these different carbs, as you said, can be so different depending on the source that these you know, instant headlines that, you know, carbs are good, carbs are bad, fats are good, fats are bad. Just don't even scratch the surface. You know, devil's always in the detail. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I agree with you completely. And I'm sorry. So the, the next question you asked was regarding... Um, um, the, the recovery, you know, the reducing recovery time, you know, it's so critical for athletes to be able to shorten that recovery to get to that next workout, to continue mm -hmm. building, you know, their strength and their endurance. And the role of inflammation and oxidative stress in reducing that to shorten the recovery. Right. Yeah. So, um, so we, we share a, a paper in the film um, comparing the antioxidant contents of really, they, so they studied, they looked at 3,100 different foods and found that on average, plant foods contain uh, 64 times the antioxidants, uh, antioxidant capacity than animal foods. And so when we talk about trying to protect against excessive oxidative stress and uh, decreasing the, uh, the inflammation, that's incredibly important. So we have um, very protective components in these plant foods that are just flat out lacking in, uh, in animal foods. And it blows people's minds to see that, um, you know, even foods that you would think are nutritious and, and antioxidant packed, like you might, people might think salmon would be in that boat. Uh, iceberg lettuce has more antioxidants than, uh, than salmon does. So it, it's really, really stark to see that, you know, that contrast. Um, and, uh, and yeah, again, we see, we see plant foods um, supporting recovery from that dimension as well. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I will add to that, that I also think gets overlooked in the amount of antioxidants is, is the role of spices, mm -hmm. you know, that are probably the most potent, even more than the berries, you know, the you know, blueberries, strawberries, etc. Um, so, you know, of course, they're plant based as well. But a lot of times people overlook that the spices and, and focus more on um, the more dietary components. You know, I'm, I'm happy you said that. Um, I, I actually, even all throughout grad school, I had no idea how powerful spices were. I mean, I would think uh, that would be something really important to bring up in, in classes, given how, like you said, extremely powerful these foods are. Um, from, from that particular study that I mentioned before, looking at the 3,100 foods, the second highest antioxidant packed food, I believe, was cloves. And, um, and ever since learning that, I've been putting um, pumpkin spice in whatever I can. Uh, like this morning, breakfast, uh, had some overnight oats 
with uh, yeah, steel cut oats. I had a ton of pumpkin spice and cinnamon and I had berries in there too because they're still great. But like <laughs> you said, um, and, and I had seeds and, and things too. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's incredible to see how powerful these spices are. Uh, and especially on a per calorie basis, it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, cooking with as many herbs and spices as we can is definitely the way not just to make a meal taste better, but also to support uh, health and performance. Oh, wow. I bet our breakfasts are very similar. I love overnight oats with pumpkin spice. <laughs> very nice. It's delicious. <laughs> it's great. My kids love it too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then getting into the other parts of plant-based diets and performance, um, you know, the gut microbiome is an area that a lot of people are interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, um, you know, metabolism can get influenced through the gut microbiome is another key part to, to performance. Can you say a little bit more about that? Um, sure. So uh, a lot of this is, um, a lot of this field is, as you know, just budding. Um, mm-hmm. I want to share, I, I know I keep on mentioning studies, but every time uh, you talk about a new topic or we, we bring one up, I, I want to share the, the coolest research that I can see on it. So mm-hmm. if I may, I just want to dump one more paper onto your audience called uh, Exercise-Induced Stress Behavior, Gut Microbiota, Brain Access, and the Diet. And this is, a, they call it a, a systematic review for athletes. And this was just published, uh, I think in 2016, but it's a wonderful, wonderful paper. And here they're, they're really discussing uh, exactly how eating animal-based foods versus plant-based foods can affect the microbiome. Um, I'm actually going to, I'm going to be annoying and I'm going to quote if that's okay, just for a second. Oh, please do. You know, I love that you reference the science because so often people promote things that are not scientifically based. So, so I love the fact that you are referencing, you know, information and. and oh, I'm glad. I'm glad because yeah. this is this is I this is all that I know. <laughs> so I'm happy that you like it because this is when I say all that I know. I mean, I other than scientific literature, I've got nothing. So if you ask. <laughs> I, I speak in quotes too, so we're, we're good. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so here we go. So one of the, the quotes is, therefore, an increased consumption of complex plant polysaccharides, right? So they're just saying the, the carbohydrates found in plants should be promoted to help maintain gut microbiota diversity and function. So they're basically saying we should basically be eating a lot of plant food to maintain this diversity. They say it should also be noted that high animal protein consumption during rest days and training should be reduced because it may negatively affect the gut microbiota. And then they give as examples production of potentially toxic byproducts like amines and volatile sulfur compounds. So what I think is, is that's just one quote. There's lots of other really good ones from here too. Um, but they're really saying it's not just a function of eating really well right before your competition. It's also on training days. It's also on rest days. And some of the mechanisms, like I mentioned here, are just, you know, like I mentioned, amines and uh, volatile sulfur compounds. But um, it's really incredible to see how, how our gut um, really is so much more influential than we had thought even five or 10 years ago. So really what we, what we eat feeds that and then that feeds us back in turn, um, whether it's for our brain health or for performance. Um, you know, this is just starting to be looked at but it's, uh, it absolutely seems to be uh, influential and worth considering. Right, yeah, no, and, and that's so 
interesting to highlight even the brain gut axis because the you know, plant food have different fibers, right? There's obviously more than one type of fiber and you get such a diversity of fibers, which promote the diversity in the gut bacteria mm -hmm. with the connection between the, the brain nervous system and then the gut's nervous system. There's a psychological component to athletic performance that can get altered as well through the gut bacterial balance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's, it's beyond the physical. So um, that's a really great connection to make. Yeah, I think so too. I, I, and it's, you know, seeing all of the overlap between the uh, sort of uh, chemicals, you know, neurotransmitters and serotonin between these two, um, you know, digestive system and, and what's going on inside the brain. It's just, it's incredible to see these redundancies and how could it not be that what we eat that affects one system wouldn't also uh, affect another one. I mean, it just seems uh, incredible, you know, unbelievable, I would say, to, to think that there isn't that sort of overlap. And then going back to the, the plant and the, the animal dimension, um, this paper, and I've seen other ones as well, where they're talking about the, the protective effect of the plant foods, of that fiber, uh, sort of stopping these harmful metabolites from the, the animal protein from doing as much damage, not all of the damage, but doing some of the damage that they could do. And so I think that this is why we see, you know, plant-based diets and brain health um, going hand in hand and also gut health and now athletic performance too. Right. And, and that really also speaks, as your, your paper does, to the long-term health consequences, right? So a lot of you know, people that are training are training for the next competition and not necessarily at that time thinking about their health 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. um, and yet you really bring up this surprising finding in your paper that endurance athletes may have more advanced atherosclerosis or heart disease and, and more damage in their heart muscle compared to sedentary individuals, mm -hmm. which is really, you know, just so counterintuitive. Um, and of course, dietary components, um, you know, may be somehow implicated in that. It's not a hundred percent clear. Mm -hmm. um, and why do you, you know, at least in, uh, think that that's the case. Sure. So I'm really proud when, uh, when Dr. Barnard invited me to, to co-author that paper with him, I'm, I'm really proud to say that was one of the contributions that I made was sharing that particular um, body of literature, you know, really looking at the, really dispelling the notion that exercise alone is enough to protect us against cardiovascular disease. A lot of people say, you know, I can eat whatever I want because I'm a runner or because my um, profession is really physical. And um, uh, just quoting our paper real quick, we wrote, to the extent that increased consumption of animal products supplies the energy for increased athletic activity, their saturated fat and cholesterol and relative absence of antioxidants and fiber may contribute to the atherosclerotic changes. So I think that really is what it comes down to. It's just, you know, the exercise you know, it's fantastic, but it has the ability to be a double-edged sword because if we're um, responding to our increase in appetite by putting really destructive foods down the hatch, then we've really just undone our work. And you see people do this all the time, right? They'll exercise and they'll say, oh, I, you know, I earned uh, whatever. And um, they sort of undo many of the benefits that they just reaped. Um, and I, I think people tend to think, yeah, really exercise is, is more protective than it actually is. And really what matters is what are we doing to, to refuel 
um, following that exercise and in, in response to that appetite. Right, and, and sometimes it's inadvertent, right? So sometimes, you know, people exercise a lot and feel that they've earned a reward, you know, so some type of junk food, but other times people are exercising and they are under the misconception that they need to rebuild protein um, or grow muscle mass through meat, really. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as you highlight in this article, the saturated fat content um, has not just short-term effects, you know, after that one meal on performance, but long-term, um, you know, there's, of course, an abundance of literature um, looking at heart disease and the types of fats. And, um mm-hmm you know, that increased risk with meat is something that's seen um, even beyond the literature of athletic performance, but just chronic disease. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, it's really interesting, you know, thinking about how the food components are changing the structure and function. You know, a lot of people want to continue performing at a high level and to the degree that the body um, is changing capacity is, is just so profound um, that, that I think, you know, people probably don't think of their body as that malleable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just, it goes in both directions, right? You can increase performance and you can decrease performance over time. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. We're, we're very fluid creatures and we, we adapt for the better and we adapt for the worse, but we, we certainly adapt. So um, so yeah, giving ourselves everything we need to to optimize function, not just now but well into old age, just makes a whole lot of sense, both from the training side and also from the from the diet side. Yeah, and I want to, um, with the little time that we have left, just going to ask you a little bit about your personal experience working with the athletes. You know, this science I think is just tremendous. I think it's so wonderful that everything you promote is so scientifically grounded with not just anecdotal findings, but understanding the science of the why behind what you're recommending and then mm-hmm. implementing that in a you know, very tangible way into people's lives and their performance. What are the types of feedback, the experiences that you get from the people that you work with? Sure. So, um, so I have this, uh, this, strange, um, I don't know what the word is, but like a kickback mechanism where I'm always really uh, aware of a placebo effect. And so I, you know, just by working with someone, someone might experience a placebo effect. And so I have this super critical lens that I, I, I put up when I'm talking with even a patient of mine. Um, when they're telling me all the benefits that they're getting. And I want to make sure that it's not just their experience. I want to make sure that it's actually mapping out into their concrete numbers, their performance. Um, and so just as an example, uh, I, I've been working for the last uh, couple of months with a very, very top level uh, track cyclist. And uh, she made a, a transition to, to a plant-based diet and she's setting personal bests and it's extraordinary. And I love seeing it. She's as lean as she can, you know, as, as she wants to be um, to perform her best, her, her, um, you know, her, everything is, is improving. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I'm, I'm just trying to make sure that the numbers are actually panning out and they actually are, they absolutely are. But I, I think it's important not to just go off of feel. Um, there's a, a really interesting paper showing that um, 
these, you know, a ketogenic diet might make people feel like they're performing better. This is just a pilot trial. I can send you the reference later. But people oftentimes feel like they're performing better, but they're not actually performing better. And part of it might come down to that they feel they're recovering faster, but um, maybe they're recovering faster because they can't perform as intensely. Um, so if you can't perform as intensely, you're recovering, you know, you don't have to recover from as much. So I will say that with my patients, and this is a, a long way of saying it, but um, I, I really, I take tremendous pride in watching their objective performance improve. And the fact that they subjectively feel better is great, but I don't feel that that's what they're paying me to do. So, um, so yeah, just seeing their, you know, their competitions go the way that they would dream of is, just means everything to me. And, you know, and that's exactly, you know, what the Game Changers is all about. Um, you know, for our listeners, the premiere, the worldwide premiere is September 16th. And as it sounds, the Game Changers is a game-changing documentary of the rise in plant-based eating with professional athletes and has so many stories of, as you know, you're saying right now, David, of their objective performance improving as they switch to plant-based diets um, and, and seeing that change in, you know, how they perform is just incredible. I mean, it's great storytelling combined with the great science that, that you contributed to the documentary. Thank you. Um, so I'm so excited um, that it's finally available um, and that we'll be able to see it, um, you know, recommend it to all of our friends and our patients. Um, so thank you for being such a big part of that. I know that's uh, probably a labor of love with all the hours that it took. <laughs> oh, so worth it. So worth it. I mean, if, if we can have people um, just build more plants, replace some of the animal food, uh, you know, oh my goodness, it would be so, so worth every second of work I put into it. And, um, and really uh, James and Joseph, the producers of the film, um, I mean, I owe the whole thing to them because, uh, you know, they, they believed in me enough to, to hire me and to, uh, you know, trust my, my advice. So I give them all of the credit for this, and I'm just proud to be able to support them. Oh, gosh. I mean, I think everyone involved um, in that entire documentary, um, from the cast of, you know, people, the elite athletes involved, you know, your contributions from this, the scientific standpoint, and then the executive producers, it just seems that it has been just top-notch people putting together probably the most incredible documentary I've seen. Thank you. Um, so excited to share it. Um, with our time that's left, is there anything that you want to touch on that we haven't had a chance to talk about? Um, I, I want to get you the name of that last paper that I mentioned. I just because yes. I, I I hate uh, saying stuff without backing it up. That that paper is called "Ketogenic Diet Benefits Body Composition and Wellbeing, but Not Performance in a Pilot <laughs> Case Study of Endurance Athletes." That is a fascinating. It's just a pilot study, but it's a fascinating paper and it's worth reading. Um, I guess the thing that I would uh, wrap with is. Um, I mean, I, a, a huge amount of gratitude to, to you and what you're doing. And uh, I feel like this movement takes all of, all of our efforts. It's a grassroots, um, uh, you know, movement. And, and so anyway, I think every, every person who's able to contribute in whatever way they are, even if it's just leading by example and talking to nobody about it, you know, that's, that's compelling and um, 
I'm just, I'm, I'm really inspired whenever I see, whenever I meet people like you and, and see other people who are, who are doing their piece to, uh, to really help human health, environmental health, animal welfare, the whole, the whole thing. Oh gosh. And now I'm inspired by the work you do. And I'm just so grateful that you are putting the science into such a relatable way that I think changing culture, so much of that comes by, you know, having more people get exposed to it. It takes a lot of, um, you know, changing misperception and you do it just so beautifully that I think this documentary would be a big step towards helping people really understand what science says and where it deviates from what we do culturally. Um, so thank you for everything that you've contributed to, to making that such a tremendous documentary. My pleasure. And thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. And thank you for your time for joining us today. Anytime. Okay. Take care. Thanks. You too. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org slash livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.